0: Welcome. Uh, so glad to be with you this morning. To everyone that's watching online, we're really, really glad that you're joining us. Uh, now's an opportunity for you to give uh, back to the church. If you're part of this church, it's something that we we want to be normal for you to, to give financially uh, to the church. And as we grow, we're excited to continue to teach people what that looks like and, and what generosity is all about. And it certainly is much bigger than just your finances. But uh, it's a big, big part of what it means to follow God is to trust God financially. And one of the ways you do that is you give. And you get kind of transformed into a giving person as you give. Chicken and egg. You want to learn to give, start giving. You want to be a giver, don't wait till you want to. Do it, and then you will eventually want to. It's part of the process of, of maturity. So if you want to give, you can give online. You can text. You can put it in the buckets that are outside. When you walk out, we're so grateful so many of you do that. And uh, it's remarkable. And when you give, it goes to so many things. It goes to the people that work really hard here to minister to this community. It goes to a myriad of partners that we have who are doing wonderful things in all different kinds of ways that we never could. Like feeding people, giving people what they need, helping people um, that are stuck in forms of slavery around the world. I mean, it really is amazing what, what you give goes to. Um, and if you're new, we're really glad that you're here especially if you decided to come into the building this morning. We're thankful that you guys would come and join us, and we really want to get to know you. and. Uh Start a connection with you in some way, shape, or form. And if you are interested in meeting us, we're certainly interested in meeting you. Then you can go to the glass room that's in the hallway out there, and there's going to be someone there to greet you um, and get to know you a little bit and help you out with what it means to be a part of what's happening here at 514 Church. And if you are online and you want to connect with us, even if it's just virtually, uh, just uh, with maybe some prayer connection or a virtual community that we have here at the church, and you want to connect more, get to know. Maybe get some information, maybe learn what it means to be a Christian, just to know what it is to follow Christ. If you're sitting there on a laptop or you're listening to a podcast, uh, you can text in your, uh, just the word hi to 614-656-2012 and uh, someone will reach out to you that way. You know, we've been doing this series, Pick Your Battles, for two weeks now. And um, how many people by raise a hand have been here for one of the two weeks just raise your hand. Yeah, you've been here. How many people have been here for both weeks just in the room? You've heard most of it. Okay, yeah, a lot of you guys. Uh, the recap of the series so far as week 1, you know, we have to actually fight the way that Jesus fights. You know, there are there are things worth fighting for, but the way that we do it should be so radically different because we have a radically different example and a different savior and a different reason for living. So we follow Christ who is a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He serves. It's the way that he actually fights most profoundly as he gives and serves and helps. And that kind of sets a backdrop for what it really means to be a Christ follower. Like if you're going to be a little Christian, then, you know, you're going to be like him and he's the servant of all. And then last week we looked at how for uh, the reality of The world that we're living in, there's so much conflict, there's so many problems in the world that when we understand what's going on behind all those problems and we see the wide macro network of evil and all the problems in the world and then the things that are happening in each of our lives, uh, just in our mental state, in our relationships, that really there's a grand orchestrator of all that evil who is the devil, who's an enemy, a real enemy who's out to really hurt us and really steal from us and really destroy our lives. And the Bible teaches that Jesus defeated that devil in a sense, on the cross, but that he's already still um, hes still working in this world that eventually he'll be completely um, removed from any power, but he still has this power. So we said last week that the devil is beat, but he's still biting. He's still after us. He's still going for us and that that, that can happen. And uh, I just want to ask uh, by a raise of hand, is there anybody in here that has learned something or kind of understood something new or had something that... They took from the last two weeks and really, like, it's ingrained in their life or it's, they thought uh, about a situation differently. Anybody have anything like that that's happened? Anybody uh, out there? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to put a couple of you on the spot. And you're going to share that with, <laughs> with the world. With the whole world. So um, raise your hand again if you just raised your hand and you said you had something that, that you learned. Okay, there you go. You got stuck. You got sucked into it. I want, you want to have this, this wonderful gentleman right here. When you stand up, we're going to give you a microphone. And you can you can take off your mask when you talk, and uh, just say your name, and then just share something with the with the church. What have you What have you learned? My name is Brent, and um, I have a tendency to fight all my battles on my own. Hmm. And now I've been able to reevaluate what it is I'm picking my battles to fight, and to really let some of that go, trusting God, and um, just trying to live my life a little bit more, you know, decisive as to what I'm doing with battles. That's and good. It's really been helpful. That's great. Thanks for sharing. That's awesome, man. What's so cool? Whenever, whenever someone shares with me like what they learned from like a message, then just stop right there. You're going to give it to her. That one right there. No, we. we know. Oh, you you want to pass now? You didn't want to pass before. Okay. All right. I won't. I won't press that hard. But when I hear from you guys like what you're learning, it's amazing because you're you're you tell me something about what you've learned and something that I've taught and you will like actually become the pastor to me because God does a crazy stuff when you teach. Like I'll teach something, I'll be on the hallway and someone will come and be like, you know, when you said this and I like hear them and I'm like, I'd never said that. I never said that. So it really is true that like God does like crazy stuff where, you know, when someone's teaching, you know, this corner of your mind gets opened up and God moves into that and helps us see things in ways we haven't before. Or you might think of something totally different or even better than I was ever able to articulate it. So thank you. Now you, you raised your hand. Are you willing to share what you learned? Sure, yeah. yeah, you are. Yeah. Of course you are. I mean, you're wearing that jacket that's full of color. You're not afraid, bro. You are not afraid. Go ahead and take your mask off and share. Say your name.
1: Uh, my name's Hunter. Uh, yeah. I would just say I don't really have a particular
0: situation, but, you know, just daily conversations with those close to me. Hmm. I sort of ask myself, is this a fruitless argument or, you know, what am I going to get out of this? And it's really helped me just sit there and say, is this a conversation worth having? Where is this going to go? And I just think your message has really helped me, you know, decide if that's a good idea or not. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been That's a great. Lot. Just straight to the the title of the series, right? Pick your battles. Like, is this right here right. worth expending, you know, relational equity? Like, am I going to, like... Right, what am um, I going to get out of this? What am I going to get out of Is, is this going to be helpful? Outcome? That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Anybody else? Oh, you're back. You're back on us now. Okay. I
1: changed my mind. Okay. It could probably help some people. So the title, Pick Your Battles, not picking somebody else's battles to pray for. Picking, um, Mm. you know, what you think, oh, I'm going to try and pray for this person because God's got my battles. But no, just focus on your own and focus on um, giving your battles to God. And and God's going to take care of those other people and the rest. So that has been like super sticking with me. And maybe it can stick with some of you guys, too, if you're trying to. Have somebody else hash out their battles.
0: Yeah, right. Deal with what you're dealing with. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was Laura, by the way,
1: for oh, yeah, all of you. Laura.
0: She's awesome. Anybody yeah. else just want to share one more thing? Anybody want to raise your hand and share one more thing? Uh-oh. My man right here in the front. Kurt, stand up, brother. No, 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 you need a microphone. This is all world wide web. Like people are watching you, man.
1: When I think of battles, I've always thought of the analogy of the military was more more just like it, and we're in your face, and we're fighting, and we're—but it's so different. And when I see the choir and the singers and the, and, and, and Joel and everybody get out here, I see—the it's the, the analogy is the same. The artillery, as that, that choir comes out here, they're shooting artillery rounds of missiles? No, love— five megaton bombs of love. And the the, the intel has already been done. The Supreme Commander's already given us our job. The general gets up here and he tells us what we need to do and he nails it home and the battle is won and the war is gonna be won in the end. You know, as we win these battles. And so this battle that we're fighting, it's with our hearts and we don't have to throw bullets and machine guns out here because God's word is not gonna come back void. Thank you so much for what you've given me. God's word is real.
0: Thanks, man. That was awesome. Dude, you're, you're amazing. This guy, this guy's amazing. He, he, he leads so much. He serves our whole uh, production team breakfast every Sunday. He just does it, him and a team of people. He just volunteered to do that. So literally, like, he is the quintessential example of, when you think about picking your battles, like if you're going to fight the way Jesus fights, this is a man who's in the military and the way he's fighting now is through service. Amen. And that's, that's incredible. I, uh, when you think about like serving or like the Peace Corps or any type of like military endeavor or any type of missional endeavor, there's lots of different ideas that come to mind. I heard um, on, a, on a talk like Fifteen years ago, and it was actually about, like, financial stability, where this guy got up and he told the story of how um, you are to survive if you're in the Amazon or you're in South America and you get attacked by an anaconda. How to actually survive if you're in the wilderness and how to actually, like, navigate being, you know, attacked by a 40-pound, 40-pound, I think it's way bigger than that. It's like 37 feet, several hundred pounds. uh, Snake. And these are the actual field instructions for how to survive being attacked by an anaconda. So last week, we've got the enemy is beat, but he's still biting like a snake. And this is like uh, a picture of a, a giant, giant, anybody afraid of snakes? I am so afraid of snakes. Imagine being attacked by one. And think right now, if you saw a giant anaconda or it got a hold of you in some way, or you were trapped by one, what would you do to try to survive that? Think just what goes through your mind. What would you do? So here's what they tell you you have to do. Number one, lie flat on the ground. Do not panic. The anaconda will begin to climb all over your body. Be calm. (laughs) Number two, after the anaconda has examined you, it will begin to swallow you, beginning with your feet. Be calm. Number three, the anaconda will suck your feet into its body. Be still. This will take a long time. (laughs) When the anaconda, number four, has almost fully swallowed your legs, calmly remove your knife and kill the snake. Once killed, slide yourself out from the snake (laughs) and make sure you have your knife. I mean, these are the real instructions. Now, I'm telling you, I read this, I heard this. Someone was giving this talk about being counterintuitive with your finances. And that's, that's literally the idea is that, When you're attacked by an anaconda, the thing you would try to do, run, maybe uh, wrestle it, uh, try to fight it in a certain way, whatever you might try to do is not the way to actually survive. It's counterintuitive. Like beating the snake is something that if you don't know it, If you don't know the skill of it and you're not willing to regulate emotion and not respond inappropriately, you're probably going to die. You're probably going to get beat. So you have to have some training. Like imagine there is no way that if I was sitting in some cage with an anaconda that I would let this happen to me. I'd be running. I'd be trying to kick it. I'd I'd do every other thing than what this tells me to do. And here's the reality, because today we're going to look at how God has given us tools, weapons, to actually fight the enemy, to actually fight him, to actually engage in the battle, to actually win in this battle. Now, he's beat, but he's still biting, so we're taking on the biting. He's biting us, he's swallowing us, and the way to beat the enemy, just like the way to beat an anaconda, is counterintuitive. Engaging the enemy is counterintuitive. It's different than you would think. And this is so critical for today's message. And when we talk about picking our battles and you talk about all the different challenges that you, just, you all just talked about. The interpersonal. How would you handle, how would you handle the inter- interpersonal fight? Counterintuitive. Maybe different than what you, what you thought. If you don't think, if you don't plan, if you don't have a strategy, then that, that interaction could go really, really bad. When you think about all the ways that you look at social media... How do you handle those attacks? How do you handle that engagement? Are you doing it the way everyone else is doing it and falling into the same traps and problems as everyone else? Or are you taking that Christian counter-cultural approach to fighting off the enemy and all of the things that he's doing, which we talked about last week? How are you doing it? Are you actually going to? The reality is, is that Satan, the Bible says, this devil, is like a lion, Seeking, he's walking around, seeking to devour, looking for the weak party, looking for the one who's isolated, looking for the one who maybe has an injury, looking for weaknesses. That's what lions do, right? They go up to parts of the pack, they go to the margins, they go to the ones that are hurting, they wait to see the ones that are slow, they wait to see the ones that are limping. And so if you don't have a strategy to defend him, because he has a strategy to get you, he is going to destroy you. Now, it's very important. This is so important from like a, like a 514 church cultural perspective. We are not on a witch hunt. Like we're not on a crusade to beat the devil. Like that's not our goal. Our goal here is not like, you know what? That's what we're starting out to do. We're gonna beat the devil. The, the goal of the church is to be on mission for God. Mission for God. So you're one of the pack. Your goal is not to defeat that lion. Our goal is to move as this herd of people who love God and to accomplish all the things that God wants us to accomplish as his image bearers, as his priests, as his conveyors, as his extensions of of, of life on this earth. So that's the mission that we're on. And the reality is, is that the enemy is moving into that territory and he's disrupting all of our plans. He's disrupting what life is supposed to be all about. And so if you don't get a strategy that fights him off, you'll get beat. And if you go to your natural ideas, the things that come to mind first, being aggressive, being verbally combative, being physically combative, shutting down relationships, harboring bitterness, adding insult to injury, do all the things that we normally do, all you're doing is you're adding to the problem instead of being the Christ uh, extensions, the the givers of life that we've been all called to do. And so, what Paul does in the book of Ephesians, which we've we've kind of looked at the past couple weeks, is he takes us on this journey of like the whole. Christian experience. Literally, from chapter to chapter, he has these pinpoint moments in each chapter that basically leans us and puts us right in the spot that we're going to talk about today. So in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, he basically says that God's plans are to bring heaven and earth together, that he's, he's retelling the story of heaven and earth Heaven and earth are coming back together, and so that's my plan. I I came here first. I brought heaven to earth, and heaven and earth eventually will all be come back together the way it was originally designed, and that's going to be amazing. And in chapter 2, he says that you are his handiwork. Chapter 2, verse 10 in Ephesians. If you're looking at the Bible, you can check this out. We're gonna end in in chapter 6 today. But this is the, the pathway that Paul is taking us on. God made this heaven and earth thing and he's putting it back together. And then God made you and you are his handiwork. It says that you were created, that you were created in his image, you're his handiwork. The actual Greek word there is that you are his poem or his artistic expression. You are God's extension of his beauty and he now wants you to be a conveyor or a giver or a bringer of the heaven and earth project, now he's going to have you start to bring parts of him through artful uh, ways we live, ways we work, through the way that we use our ingenuity, through the way that we create. We're supposed to be his handiwork that continues to bring heaven to earth. And then in chapter three, he says that there's a manifold wisdom that has been made known. He says that the wisdom of God is going to be made known to the world. Go read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, where he says the manifold wisdom of God. And he basically says that the, the, the ultimate power and wisdom of God is to be made known. And he says to the heavenly realms. The picture here is this. God made heaven and earth. Put it back together. God made you and I. We are his poems. We are his expression. And now through the church, the unified body of Christ... We are actually supposed to be the ones that show the heavenly realms how Christianity, how life is supposed to be lived. We're supposed to be the ones. We're the ones who are the example. We're the ones that bring God's goodness, love, truth, wisdom into the world and live it out so that the heavenly realms look and go, oh, that's the way it's done. That's the life. That's the plan for the Christian. In chapter 4, he says that we're supposed to speak truth and love. And what he talks about is the importance of relationships. So heaven and earth come together, the church comes together with God, the people actually bring the truth to the world, and then the way that the people live, husbands and wives, people loving one another, when people watch the unification of the body of Christ, humans from different backgrounds, different religions, different nationalities, sitting together breaking bread, that when people see that, their minds are blown by the unity and the love that is expressed in the body of Christ. And then in 5.14, Ephesians 5.14, he says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. And what he's saying is that you can no longer, as a Christian, one who believes in the resurrection, live your life asleep and live your life doing things that you're not supposed to do. You need to wake up and you need to live out the resurrection life that you've experienced in Christ. It's time to live it out. So a lot of the times in the world, we think of sin or Christians think of sin as the things that we're not supposed to do. And that's part of it. But another uh, manifestation of sin or falling short of God's plan is when we don't do the things that God gave us the resurrection and woke us up to do, to live this beautiful life to actually bring goodness and joy and ingenuity and creation and love and relationships, multi-ethnic, multi-faceted growth, goodness. We're supposed to do that. And when we live our lives asleep, living, doing things we're not supposed to do, what he's saying is wake, up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. You have a resurrection, Lord, and you are supposed to live a resurrected life, and you are supposed to bring goodness into the world, not just not do bad things. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he says, this is my plan for you. This is my whole plan, heaven and earth, handiwork, the wisdom of God made made known through the church, the people of God coming together, awaking to resurrection life, and here's your plan. This is what you're supposed to do, and guess what? While you're on that journey, there's going to be an enemy who attacks you. He's going to attack you. He ends the book. He's like, this is God's picture for you. And by the way, you need some weapons because as you go down this path, the enemy's gonna try to destroy you. So here's some weapons. You need to put on some armor because the enemy is going to take you off the track of living the resurrection life. So in Ephesians chapter six, he says this. We can read it, it'll be on the screen. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Engaging the enemy is counterintuitive. You have to do it in a different way if you're going to withstand and you're going to be the resurrection people that God has called us to be. So I'm going to unpack these weapons, and you just write them down. Just write down these words, all right? And I'm going to give you some thoughts on each one of these weapons, and each one of them is counterintuitive to what you would do in the world. You'll use these in different ways. You'll use them the wrong way, and what God says is use use these weapons the right way. Use them in a counterintuitive way that actually helps you win the battle. The first thing he says is that you need to know the truth. So if you're taking notes, if you're out there, just write down truth. You need to know the truth. We need to be truth-seeking, not lie-loving. And no one would ever say, I love lies. But people are lost and in darkness, and so are we. We're lacking the truth. We're lacking the actual truth of life, of any particular situation, of what things are all really about. Now, when we talk about truth, when he says, um, put the, the belt of truth, basically he has this idea of like a girdle. And in, in the armory that he's kind of using as a, as a metaphor, what he's saying is there's a belt, and the belt is actually what holds all of the other pieces together. So you kind of know that, right? Like if you wear a suit you got your pants, and then you got your T-shirt or shirt, and then you've got a tie. But the belt kind of wraps the top to the bottom. It holds everything together. And that's what he's getting at, is that truth actually puts you in a good position to stand off the, the attacks of the devil. The truth about life. Reality. Truth. So the first part of truth is to know the person of Jesus. So the Bible actually says that Jesus is the truth. He is truth. So the Christian mindset does not think first and foremost, I'm gonna learn all I need to learn about life by just getting information, by just this or that. The first step towards having wisdom is knowing the creator of life. If God made it, if God did it, if he is the one who gave everything that's true, all truth, God's truth, all those things we say, then you have to know him. And when you know Jesus, when you know him, he starts to bring you insight into what reality is all about. Now, this gets very uh, crazy really fast. Because some people will just say, I love Jesus, And then they just jump on whatever train of subculture their Jesus world comes from. And whatever that subculture teaches is true, you just believe it is true. Christians cannot afford, if we're going to defend ourselves from the wiles of the devil, to buy into every little thing that we hear. You can't. The devil is the father of lies. So Jesus is the author of truth, not just the fact that he is the truth, but everything you're questioning in the world, that thing you read online, that study about those whatever, that vaccine. Christians are supposed to be the most critical thinkers in the world. We're supposed to have enlightened minds that ask real questions, that are we are not gullible, we are loving, but we are not gullible, we actually ask the question why. We don't just read something on social media and then believe it's true and then disagree and fight with everybody who says the opposite. Christians are supposed to be as gentle as dove and as wise as serpents. We're supposed to be shrewd. What that means is we're supposed to examine everything. We're supposed to put our hearts, our belief, into things that we actually believe. We believe in a resurrection. We believe in a God who's real. And we follow that. And anything else has to be looked at, has to be scrutinized. Christians are supposed to be critical thinkers. Christians are supposed to be curious. You need to understand the reality of social media, if you are going to fight off the wiles of the devil, who's used to be the father of lies, then you have to understand is that they wrote an algorithm just to keep you on the path that you are on. That's it. It's not about truth. Social media and all the people that add to it are not in existence to make sure that you know the truth. They want you to click on what they put on there. So whatever you're interested, go watch these documentaries that talk about social media. There's an algorithm that was designed for you to go down the tunnel of lies. So you click on one thing that has to do with some conspiracy theory, or you're going to click on a bunch more. And you are going to have all of your biases confirmed, whether they're true or not. I believe that Christians in today's society should be at an arm's length, at a minimum, from social media. I'm sorry, that, I know that's heavy. But what's happening is, it is brainwashing us. We're being brainwashed. We are believing things that are not true. And the first part, the thing that holds everything together is the truth. And it's not just the stuff that we see, all these conspiracy theories, all these different things that are going on, what's going on on this side, that side. That, that's part of it. But the truth and lies is something that you have to be fighting for your entire life. You are going to learn what it looks like to be married by watching rom-coms? It's gonna teach you lies. It's gonna teach you lies. You're gonna look at maybe your parents' broken relationship as to what a marriage should look like? It's gonna teach you lies. Christians have to be unsettled until they believe that something is true, until something is right, until they actually believe it. And even when we know something is true, we're supposed to handle it with humility but we should not settle. Christians need to call out your own biases. If you grew up in a republican house and mom and dad are republican and you live in the suburbs and that's where you've lived your whole life, you need to understand that that is conditioned that that has given you a lens to with which you see the world. And you need to call it out in yourself. I see the world through a upper middle class you know, white kid from Worthington. That is what I've said. That's how I see the world. You you need to call out your own biases if you're gonna actually be someone who cares about the truth. You need to start to gain self-awareness. You have to go through the process of understanding who you are, taking personality tests, spending time asking real questions. The truth, the truth will set you free. That is part of one of the weapons that God gave us. Know the truth. Know Jesus and be a critical person who's curious, who knows their own biases, and stands to understand. People who are interested in what the other person on the other side of the table thinks and where they're coming from. People who are committed to learning other people's perspectives and caring about them. It's one of the only ways you will find the truth of a situation. The world will tell you that it's all or nothing. The world will tell you that there's no nuance, but there's tons of nuance. There's tons of gray. There's tons of confusion. And the Christian should be committed to finding the truth. Know Jesus. Be a critical thinker. Know the truth. If you think something, I mean, I could, I, I could spend the whole time on this. If you think something is so true and, and you, you're going to hang your whole life on it, Can I just tell you, like, you need to go tell five people and ask them if they think it's true first. You need other people's perspectives. You know, this is a huge commentary on community, on what we believe about things. Like, you have to know, here's the danger. If you get sucked into the lie, that is the devil's plan for taking your mind, your relationships, your emotions way off track and ruining your life. I have family members that have bought into cults. I have, I have watched them. And they just get sucked into the vortex. You have to be shrewd. The truth holds everything together. Then he says, you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, growing up in church, I always heard righteousness as means to live a moral life, right? Like to make good moral choices. And all that is very, very true. Very true. But actually, in this text, I think this is critical because if you grew up in the church, you probably never heard this. The word that's used here that is translated righteousness could probably and arguably be translated to the word justice instead of righteousness. Most of the time that you see it as righteousness in the New Testament. Most of the time. So, what is Paul saying? Put on the armor put on the chest plate of justice. What is justice? What is justice? People think that justice means, you know, judgment. Can I tell you right now, the world does not need more judges. It doesn't need judgmental people calling out everybody's problems. Oh, you're wrong and you're the problem and you're the problem and you're the problem and you're the problem. problem." Justice, by definition, means to make the world right. So it doesn't mean calling out the wrong. It means that you're committed as a Christ follower to make the world right, to put it in the right way. In the Old Testament, when it refers to Jesus bringing justice It's in the context of his people being overtaken by foreigners with all types of debauchery and idolatry and a totally destroyed society. And what God's plan is to bring justice is to go, I'm going to make all the wrongs in your world and make them right. Widows who are left alone, orphans who don't have parents, people who don't have food, people who are destroyed, uh, people who are caught in slavery to make the world right. Brian Stevenson says this. He says, the opposite of poverty is not prosperity. It's justice. It's when you make the world right. Our job as Christ followers, think about this, is a weapon that God has given us to fight off the evil one. The brother of Jesus says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the orphan and the widows and their affliction pure and and justified, perfect religion is to make people's worlds who are suffering, who are struggling, whose worlds are wrong, to actually take them like you justify a paper and you left justify or your Instagram and you justify it all the way to the other side so that it looks and feels and is completely different. You justify it. You make it right. Christians are called by God to look at the world that's so wrong, and be a part of making it right. I'm proud to say that we have partners at this church who this is all they exist to do. In fact, who knows Kenny Sipes? Kenny Sipes, the Roosevelt coffee shop. I worked with Kenny over 12 years ago. He was a student pastor, I was a worship director. And at that time, he learned this is true. What I just taught you for the first time, that most of the time that the word righteous is actually in the Bible, it should be translated justice. And when he heard that, he realized it's not my job to just go on a morality tour. And just it's my job to leverage who I am and take a wrong world and make it right. So he started the Roosevelt Coffee Shop, which exists it exists. Their proceeds. It's a nonprofit. Their proceeds go towards people who are caught in the sex slave world that's growing, that's awful, to people that don't have water or food all over the world. When you buy coffee from there, he uses a portion of that money to take a world that is not experiencing the rightness of God and make it right. Christians are. Think about your life. Have you been attacked by the devil? Has he tried to ruin you? How much time have you spent thinking about making the world right? It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. It's not the way you would normally think. You think about, I'm gonna make my world right. I'm gonna make some things right. I'm gonna tell them something. I'm gonna preach them something. And Paul says, actually, a key... It's to go into the world and the people that are suffering make it a better place. Wow. Then he says you need the gospel of peace. You need the gospel of peace. And this is good news, not bad news. And this is so fundamental to the Christian faith. The good news in the Bible is The gospel message, that's what the word is. It's a gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the declaration of Jesus as king. It's the declaration of Jesus as Lord. It's the declaration of God's ultimate authority, power. Jesus is in charge. He's won the battle. He's got it all handled because of what he did on the cross. So Christ followers are supposed to be enamored with the cross. Enamored. It's not just one day a week. Or a year. It's not. It's every day. Every day. You may think, oh, you know, you're just oversimplifying the message, Joel. You know, preachers always come back to the cross and the resurrection. You have to. The intensity, the the layers, the truth of the cross of Christ and the resurrected Lord is the battle cry for the Christ follower. Knowing it knowing the good news, knowing my Savior died on a cross. He took all my sin. He took all my shame. He was beaten. He was, he was shamed. He lost his breath, and then he was put into a tomb, and three days later, he resurrected from the dead. What does that mean? It means I get new life. It means I have a new chance. It means I'm forgiven. It means I'm loved. It means that God has ultimate victory. So one of the things that Paul is saying is, you need these shoes that are like the gospel. And what they are is they're shoes that keep you firm when the devil tries to knock you over. And you know what always keeps you upright when the enemy tries to knock you over? The gospel. It's, you have to know it. It's the foundation of our Christian life. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no reason to be here. We have no faith. We have no hope. We have no reason to gather. We have no message to give. We have nothing. We have a man who died. He rose from the dead. He said, go tell people that I did this. That's why we're here. That's it. So if you don't know that intimately, then what will happen is when the battle is raging and you don't have the gospel to fall back on, you'll fall over. If you don't have the gospel to fall back on, when the battle is raging, you'll fall over. You can never get bored of the resurrected Lord. You can't let it happen. You need to go back to John 20, John 21. You need to go every single moment you can. You need to remember the resurrection. It's going to save you. Here's the picture. The picture is like you're down in the battle. And the gospel is the good news, which is a proclamation. And while you're fighting the enemy in a spiritual sense, over the loudspeaker, the king is going, We were winning. We're winning. Keep going. We're winning. We're winning. Keep going. Keep fighting. And you're going to win. Actually, we won, but you got to keep fighting. Keep going. So as you're fighting and you're toiling and life is becoming so difficult, you know, oh, I know the resurrection. I know the cross. I know what happened. I know that day. I know my salvation. I know it. I know it. I know it. No matter what he says to me, I'm going to keep going. No matter what happens to me, I'm going to keep living because of the gospel. It just keeps you going. The gospel of peace, oh, it keeps you peace in the midst of what? Chaos. You have to come to Good Friday at this church. You have to come to Easter Sunday. You have to be enamored with the resurrected Lord. Enamored. It's everything. It keeps us there. Faith. He says you got to have faith. Faith in he, not we. You look at the church. It's a bunch of broken people. The story of God throughout history is just a story of people who even though they turn their backs on God, God makes these covenant relationships with him, and he just continues to hold up his end of the bargain when we don't. So in no way, listen, in no way are you ever supposed to put your faith, your trust, your hope in the church. I know that sounds like, The church is supposed to be this amazing extension of God. And when we are all that we're supposed to be, there's a lot to look at. There's a lot to behold. There's a lot to to love and trust. But the reality is is that it's supposed to be the people of God who have giant uh, accomplishments of their Savior that they remember all the time. So it's not faith in we. It's faith in he. It's faith in what he has done. So the shield of faith, that extinguishes when the, when the enemy comes after you, is when you stand behind what God has done in, in our lives and in our world. So it's like this. You know that God rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, then I can take this on. I have faith not in me. I have faith in what God did. This is not faith in what I can do. This is faith in, faith in what God did. God parted the Red Sea so that the people could cross. That happened. He parted the Red Sea Amazing things happen. He created this world. We're made in his image. You start to think about who God really is. And you put your faith not in what you're able to do, but what God has already done. You put your faith in that. That's kind of what brings you peace. You might not be able to see it. But the Proverbs say that we're supposed to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. To lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and that he makes our path straight. So faith is this idea. It's not, it's not really how much faith we have, but the object of our faith, the mountain-moving God that we trust. That we're like, wow, he did that. He can handle all this. You may feel like you're losing, but you look at Jesus and you look at what he's done, and you know you're winning. So it, it just helps you. You're trusting. There's a, there's a psalm in the Old Testament, some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust. In the name of our God. We're not trusting in we. We're trusting in him. And then he says the helmet of salvation. And the idea here of salvation is the word liberation. Liberation. And so many Christians miss this. I know I'm going long, but we've had a great day. I'm excited. I'm sweating a little bit. I'm excited. Salvation. Salvation is about liberation. You and I, as Christ followers, have been liberated from the bondage and the power of sin. We are liberated from it, not for it. We're liberated so that we don't, as Christ followers, our minds change, our hearts change, our disposition towards the world change. All of the things that you know are things we're not supposed to do as you grow as a Christ follower, and maybe it's because you learned the hard way, you touched the stove and you got burned, so you did the wrong thing, and you went, I know I'm not supposed to do that, and that sin actually hurts. What would what, what Christ followers do with the helmet of salvation is they go, I was liberated from ever having to do those things that cause so much pain. You know, most people, when they get involved in a sin pattern, you, you, you don't necessarily always pay for your sins You are like paying for your sin. You you actually hurt because of the sin. It's It's the sin that causes you pain, not as much more as like just paying for it in some other way. It's like sin hurts you. Sin destroys your life. So the helmet of salvation is going, I was liberated from ever having to do the things that I'm not supposed to do. I don't want to do those things. I want to follow God's plan for my life. I want to go that way. And so people who have been liberated from living life the way that people without Christ do are so excited to see other people liberated from it as well. And what you see is you look at the world and you look at people who are caught up in sin. They're caught up in bondage. They're caught up in, you know, they're addicted to something and, and, or, they're, or they're committed to something they shouldn't be committed to or their life is just in turmoil. They're serving money. They're serving sex. They're serving power. And their life is just in turmoil. And you can just see that they're in bondage to those masters. And the helmet of salvation is, I was liberated from those masters. I have a different master. I serve him. And I am so excited to be a part of seeing people liberated from the power of the darkness we 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 see it differently and then the last thing he does he gives us this the sword god's word or god's sword if you look at it on the on the screen it's god sword the sword of god and that is the word of god god's word listen It is actually believed that the word of God has cleansing power. Cleansing power. To to help you understand who you are, to forgive you of sin, to bring you illumination for all of life's dirty, broken, difficult spots. It's cleansing. And God has given us his word. God's word is supposed to be the, the voice that is the loudest voice in our lives. So you wanna defend the devil, off the devil? You wanna do the counterintuitive thing? You, you might think you have, to, you have to pump yourself up. You might think you have to read some, some philosopher. It's going to be the voice of God that gives you the greatest power to overcome the enemy. The truth of God, the word of God, the scripture is actually going to be the thing. What is the strongest voice in your head? What is it? Is it the word of God? You you may be looking at your life and going, you know, I have all these battles. I have all these online things. I have all these family things. I have all this relational trauma and drama and all this stuff. And then if I backed up, I said, what is the most powerful voice in in your life right now? What do you hear the most? What's the clearest? What is it? Jay-Z. I mean, what is it? Louis Giglio said this, those who hear God's voice best know God's word most. You guys understand that when Jesus was on earth, he was actually drawn into 40 days of temptation by the devil, and the devil attacked him. And you know what Jesus used to defend himself from the devil? Scripture from the Old Testament. Scripture from the Old Testament, the Word of God. If you are not committed to knowing the Scriptures, to memorizing them, you're going to have a hard time fighting off this this enemy. A really, really hard time. Right now our whole staff is going through um, the Bible plan to read the Bible in a year. With the, the Bible app. And we're going through, we read... Four chapters a day, and then a psalm every day, and there's videos. And everyone that's on full time staff hasn't it been incredible? It is amazing because what's happening, right? The, the voice of God is, is much louder in my head. It's just like I, I, I sit with that every day, and I read something from the book of Numbers, which can be so confusing. But then there's that part, and it just captures my heart for that day, and it keeps me focused on God, and it keeps my, my heart open and soft because that's what the Word of God does. And so if you are not committed to weekly daily bible reading you are literally taking like the weapon that God has given you to defend yourself from spiritual chaos and just laying it on the ground. Who would run into battle if he get here here's your belt, here's your shoes, here's your chest plate, here's your helmet, here's your sword. You pick up all of them but the sword. Not me, man. Would you pick up the sword first? I want that sword, man. <laughs> right? It's, that's the most powerful thing. That, that's what we have. Listen, listen, think about all the things that we just said. Truth, justice, the gospel, liberation from sin. The word of God. If I say all those things right now in a vacuum, what what is your, what do you you think? Oh, those are great things. Those are great. Those are great things. No, 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 no. Those are not just great things. Those are the things that God has given us to fight off the enemy. Those are powerful weapons. Those are strategic instruments that God has laid out in front of us and pick these things up, seek the truth, make the world right, live in the gospel, liberate yourself from from sin and chase God's word. I mean, you can sit in here and tell me you have all kinds of chaos in your life and I can ask you, well, I know, it's, are you doing these four things? Like, are you engaging this? And I'm not saying that it's gonna take away suffering. That's a different to- topic. But this is how you fight. This is spiritual warfare. This is what God has given us to do. This is how we fight our battles, man.
1: This is how we do it.